Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Hey everyone, this is Amanda Bates, founder of The Black Expat and host of the Global Chatter podcast. There have been many themes that have arisen this season, and a big one has been experiences of those who have grown up in cross-cultural homes in addition to having an expat life. And my next guest, Georgia Goodman, fits the bill. As a child, she had a highly mobile life as the daughter of a mixed-race French-African father who was a diplomat and a Vietnamese mom. And Georgia is an actress with over 10 years experience in her profession in the UK. She has since amassed an impressive CV of high profile television and film credits and is currently looking forward to pushing the boundaries as a filmmaker. And because we all know I love a good out of the box story, we spend a significant amount of time discussing what it meant for her to grow up mixed race, particularly in Africa and Asia. And we also talk about how her physical identity has had an impact in working in film and the changes she's starting to see towards inclusivity in the industry. This is definitely a fun one. And after you listen, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review on your favorite platform. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so you are listening to the latest episode of The Global Chatter. This season has been rocking so far with the guests that we've had on, and we are going to continue the trend with Georgia because I only have awesome people on the show. I've been doing this for years. I stand by it. None of you have proven me wrong, so here we are. (laughs) So, Georgia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, hopefully I won't disappoint. No, you absolutely will not disappoint. I have faith in 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 you and also <laughs> just talking to you offline. I already know that our vibe we're like we're in a good place, all right? So, great. All right, as we get started, this is a question I ask everyone because this is an international podcast and people are all over the world. Where are you currently today? Where in the world are you? Today, I am very specifically in South London, United Kingdom. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I I, I feel like I've been a, a little bit on a Brit theme lately. So because I've had a lot of great guests who've kind of come from particularly from London. But uh, how long have you been in London at this point? Well, I have been here, I think, 20 years now or a little bit more. I keep saying 20 years for the last few years, so I'm, it's probably a little bit more than that. But yeah, I'm a Londoner now. Oh, my gosh. We're, we're, you're claiming London, but I know, <laughs> I know from, you know, a little bit of your story that your story doesn't start in London and it isn't only London. So let's start from the beginning. And I, and I know for some people, this story, telling this part of their story is really lengthy, but we're going to do it anyway. So where does your international story start? 
Wow. Okay. Once upon a time. <laughs> so I was born, or as I like to say, I was made in Taiwan. My, uh, my mother is Vietnamese. My father was African. He was from Gabon. And they met in China. My mother was a teacher, and so she traveled a lot when she was younger. So I was made in Taiwan. My brother was made in Japan, mm. and we stayed there for a while. Um, and then from Japan, we then went on. We moved. We lived in Lebanon. We lived in the Philippines. Uh, then my parents separated, and uh, I grew up in uh, part of my childhood was in Gabon in Africa. Uh, and then after that, I personally for myself, I went to high school in Vancouver. I went to university in France and then I am now in London. I've been in London ever since. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're going to unpack all of that. And, <laughs> and, and no, and this is, and this is where I, I am excited and I'm geeked out because most listeners know I have an African identity, but your mobility, at least up until high school, was mostly in Africa and Asia, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, okay, you're, <laughs> you've already talked that you're mixed race, right? <laughs> Vietnamese yeah, and, so obviously I'm right, mixed race. Right, yes, yeah. Vietnamese yeah. and, and Gabonese, right? And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, okay, so you're a kid in these spaces. Like what, what in terms of school, where were you? Were you in local schools? international schools, private schools, home schools, world school, like what was going on? So, so we were, my brother and I, we were um, educated in international American schools. Thus my American accent, although it's kind of softened up a little bit for the last 20 years I've been in London, but yeah, we were in international American schools. My, my father was a diplomat, so that's why we traveled a lot. And I guess, you know, the international school system is the easier system, you know, to kind of keep some kind of consistency. Um, I know that a lot of army kids as well, they, they end up in international schools, whether British or American. Um, and so I would probably say that my mother tongue, funnily enough, is English, English American, although I hold a French passport. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Just to confuse things even more. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, where did the French passport like make its way into this? So my father, um, when he was younger, he, uh, so in France at the time, um, every young man who, as soon as he turns 18, there was mandatory army service. And Gabon was a French, an ex-French colony. And my father himself was also mixed race. So he served in the French army when he was younger. And so that basic, and he also was a little bit of a war hero at the time. Um, so he claimed his French nationality after he retired from uh, being a diplomat for Gabon. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's a story. <laughs> that is, like that is a story for another day. Like I'm looking at you and I'm like, wait a minute, that's like a whole other story, but I've got you and not you. <laughs> Oh, my mother also has her own. I mean, both my parents individually. I mean, I remember actually talking to Jim Stenman, your, your, one of your previous interviewees about this. I could literally write a dynasty worth, you know, of, of like TV series yeah. based on both my parents' individual stories. And then, you know, maybe my story and my brother's story as well. Yeah. No, yeah. I, no, I believe it. And I, and I, and to be honest, I think it would be very well received. Um, if, if for nothing else, I've learned doing this work that people are nosy. And so if they may know nothing about anything, but they'd be like, I just even want to know how these people met and how this became like you are here. <laughs> right. And so, so, so I mean, people are nosy enough to know, but okay. So having both at least presenting an African identity and an Asian identity, and, and, and I'm just talking about looking at the general world. So as a kid, hmm. particularly in the countries that you were living in, did and I know this is going to sound odd, but you probably know where I'm going with this. Did people know where to place you, or were they just like, "Where, who are you, and where are you from?" Mm. That's really great that you've asked that question because you know I was kind of thinking about what we would be talking before this podcast, trying to remember some things, and this childhood memory came up. And I remember when I, when we were in the Philippines and uh, our school had this kind of like international day and all the kids had to come in in their national costume. So I came in with a Gabonese, um, you know, dress and stuff like that. And I was the only person 
And I just remember feeling so alone Mm -hmm. and everybody else had groups of at least, you know, two or three, you know, Canada or France or whatever. And I was just there, that little lonesome me with my dress. I had nobody else who looked like me. And I remember thinking, even then I was just like, oh my God, I'm alone. But my mother was just amazing in that she always made sure that my brother and I would know both sides of our culture. So uh, my mother is a Buddhist and she would always observe like the traditional Vietnamese, um, Vietnamese traditions and Vietnamese days, you know, like uh, what you call them, uh, you know, those kind of like um, holidays, dates, like the day of the dead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she would also encourage, push us, not encourage us. She would literally push us to also observe the African customs and traditions, um, especially when we lived in, um, uh, when we ended up living in Gabon. And so she was just, she just encouraged us to, to basically, you know, both sides. Now in terms of identity, hmm, how did people treat us? So I think, I think it's different. You know, I think when growing up, when we were still, you know, when my parents were still together and obviously it's that nice little cocoon, isn't it? That expat cocoon, especially when your father is a diplomat. Um, not that we were, we went to local schools, but again, one thing that my mom was very, you know, that I admire my mom for was that she did a lot of charity, local charity work. So she never let the privilege kind of dictate things. So, um, and because of the charity work, we were always, in touch with the locals and, 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 and all of that and, and, you know, understood the customs. So, but I think we were still the diplomats, you know, when I, when I speak to some Filipinos nowadays and, and they ask me, Oh, where did you used to live in the Philippines? And I would tell them and they're like, Ooh, that's the posh area. Right. And so obviously growing up, I didn't realize that, but when we were, uh, when we moved to Gabon, it was a completely different shift. Um, we no longer were in the privileged bubble because my parents separated. And, you know, I mean, to be really honest, and actually I'm just going to also preface this, that this is my experience. And, you know, I might say things that might trigger some people, but it's just my experience. My brother and I did not have the easiest upbringing when we went to Gabon, although it was my father's, you know, country in that, you know, we weren't really readily accepted by my father's um, side of the family. There were competitions that were created between my, uh, ourselves and our cousins for no reason. And the identity at school, I remember, I th- so I don't know if you've had this or you've heard this or you've had this experience, um, but in Gabon, and again, I'm only going to talk about Gabon because I don't know the rest of, you know, the other African countries, but in Gabon, there's this thing where being mixed race almost elevated you to almost white status. And being mixed race was something that people wanted. So women wanted to have a mixed race child because then it would kind of bring them up, you know, the ladder. So, and, you know, people just put us on this pedestal, for example, for no reason, just for our beauty or just for being mixed race in a funny way. Um, I think what it did to me at school, I, I was always a popular kid, but mainly because I think because of all the moving and the traveling and then separating from best friends, you know, especially when you're growing up as a kid, I learned very quickly to make friends. I learned very quickly to adapt, but then on top of it, (laughs) I was also an A student and I was good at sports. So, and on top of it, having people put me on this pedestal just by the way I looked in a funny way did the opposite for me in that I really hated it. I really hated it. I wanted to be, I wanted to be admired for my achievements, not for the way I looked. Just because I was mixed race did not mean I was better than anybody else, right? And in in a funny way, growing up, and, you know, seeing people's attitudes around me, I remember now I'm just like, 
I treat everybody the same. And I think that comes from my mother. You know, I treat everybody the same, whether you're rich, whatever, uh, or, you know, you're the cleaner of whatever. I treat everybody the same. For me, I think respect is, is earned. It's not given just from your status or the way. And I think that comes from my childhood of people just automatically putting us on a pedestal regard without trying to find out who we were as a person, but only just because of the way we looked. So I don't know if in a roundabout way I've answered your question. I mean, it's how did people view us? Well, that was, that was in, in, in Gabon. When then I went to, um, to Vancouver, it was a little bit more open when I went to high school in Vancouver, but also Canada because the Native Americans were also really integrated within society. It was, and people thought I was Native American. This is the thing with being ethnically ambiguous or being mixed race: is that my identity is always um, judged from somebody else's own. Um, experience. So over here in the UK, you know, Filipinos think I'm Filipino, Australians or New Zealanders think I'm Maori, Americans think I'm Hawaiian, French think I'm Tahitian. So um, it's, it's people just kind of, they automatically go, oh, you look exotic. Where are you from? And then I now have to, uh, to decide, okay, do I give them the long story or do I give them the short version? But then the short version is also a little bit false because if I say, well, I'm French, which is my nationality, I feel like I'm a little bit of a fraud because I didn't, grow, I wasn't born there and I did not grow up there. I literally spent three years of my life there, of my entire life at university. If I tell them the other side of the story, oh, well, actually, that's the only nationality I have. But if I start telling them about my father, my my parents, they then start trying to unpick, but then they don't really get it. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. I'm sorry. I hope I answered your question. It's not. It's With not all of that. It's not the first time. And 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 actually, <laughs> you connected a lot of pieces that I've had pre- previous guests on in your answer. So. The first thing that sticks out to me is how awesome it was. Your mom was supportive and was trying to give a balance in terms of your cultural identity and experience. I think that's important for parents who are raising kids in multiple cultures. It doesn't even have to be across race because I've certainly had Dr. Nafisa Allen, who she's Black American. Her husband is Mozambican. They live in South America currently and are very intentional about making sure the kids get pieces. And so I think that if nothing else, I think that's a big theme in what you said. The second thing about what you said, and, you know, I've lived in Cameroon, so not far from Gabon, and I've lived there, you know, that was most half of my childhood. I can actually see to what you're speaking about because, you know, and I witnessed it as well. There's a privilege to the lighter you are. So colorism, first of all, like that's just we, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I have yet to have an episode, I think in the last year where colorism hasn't like popped up in some, like someone brings it up in some way. I think, as you know, the privilege that is attached to colorism and then, and I understand this, you have a Western accent, right? Because you're coming from these international school backgrounds in your case. Um, I being a kid who have always sounded like this and was in Cameroon. I get that inter- intersection of that. And then and then the play that comes with, you know, I hate to say it, but the privilege and the access and and the skin tone. And I think for some people, they just start, I can see where the pedestal and putting someone up at this higher levels because it's like you have access to things or spaces that other people perceive. And I know, I know you get that. And, and, but I think I'm, and that's me more clarifying for the audience where (laughs) I, I actually, nothing, nothing that you said surprised me one iota, which I think is a good thing. (laughs) I, I, I'm like, yup, that sounds about right. And even though I, I, I present much darker than you are as a, as a black woman, some of those elements I have also contended with. And so I can only imagine it's heightened when you're, when you're, when you're biracial. And then also 
You know, I mean, I, I've said this before. A lot of our African countries for a long time were very closed in certain ways. And so it's also you're biracial. What is, who, where is this person from? Right. You know what I mean? It's not and it, because people kind of get the England, France, you know, like they get that, <laughs> like the, yeah. the colonial powers, Germany. Um, yeah. But then they're just like, wait, where's this country? <laughs> and you're lighter. And but but what? And mm. I. I, I'm just having yeah. flashbacks from my own childhood where I'm like, oh my oh. God, she probably went through some stuff some of my friends went through. Yeah, I mean, you know, another another aspect of this, you know, as well when we were in, in Gabon is that for some reason they really did not like my mother being Asian either. And so my brother and I were also called, I mean, it's a horrible word, but, you know, bastards, you know, you know, abandoned children and stuff like that so that was not nice either but um you know one thing you were mentioning about um parents nowadays who are raising kids um you know in an international environment and that is something that i'm so you know i'm so glad i had that experience because for example you know now in my you know adulthood i have a great capacity to learn languages which obviously helps me in my career um but also I, I, I do know this because I have friends as well who um, have children in an, in an environment that is other than where they're from. And there's always this question of adults being scared of what they say confusing the kids. So, for example, you know, the mother might be Spanish and the, the father might be Dutch, but they're in an English, you know, country. They don't want to to. They don't want to speak Spanish or Dutch at home just in case it confuses the kid who's going to an English school. And I'm and I'm saying, oh, my God, kids are sponges mm -hmm. and they can They're tell fine. the difference. They're fine. So please give them that gift of multilingualism because that's good. the world now is, is so much more international than it used to be. And having more than one language or being able to learn more than language is so helpful nowadays. You know, I remember when we were in Gabon, actually, my mother was friends with um, uh, the American ambassador at the time who was also married to a Vietnamese woman and they had two sons. So the, but the sons would speak English with the father Vietnamese with a mother and French at school and they could tell the difference you know kids are a lot smarter than I think adults give them credit for and even growing up my mother always always used to love to say how much like a parrot we were my brother and I we would go to Lebanon and apparently we spoke Arabic like nobody's business we had a Japanese nanny as well we spoke Japanese you know comfortably so I think that aptitude it has to be learn from a very young age because I think it just kind of like connects the synapses, you know, in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know? for sure. And I, I have seen it in real time and been at the dinner table with a really good friend of mine who speak, speaks. Um, so she, she's Belgian American and her husband's Italian. They live in the Netherlands and I watch the child circle between Dutch and Italian and English at that table. Oh, and she was like five, right? She was fine. I was like, it's the rest of us. That <laughs> she was good. <laughs> she knew when to speak, what to speak, to who she needed to speak. And That's so amazing. I, I kind of want to pivot for a second because you, you obviously talked mm -hmm. about going to Vancouver, which is on my bucket list. I've been to other parts of Canada, still haven't made it to Vancouver. But here's what I'm fascinated. So up until that point, you've been living basically east and south, right? Uh-huh. Was it a transition for you as a young person moving to go live in the West? No, it's kind of funny. I think that going to an international school in, I guess, what you would call my formative years, if somebody were to ask me, what do I identify with or what culture I identify, I would say American. So going to Vancouver was a little bit like going home. Like it was an environment I understood. It was a culture I understood. It was a thought process I also understood, but also, you know, the different values of, you know, all the things, you know, kids who have part-time jobs, whether in high school and, and all of these things for me, it's just so natural in a way I'm more American than I, than I'm French. And it's kind of funny because my brother is more French and he's American. So 
I think it's those formative years that really dictates, you know, where we feel comfortable. And for me, Vancouver was, it was literally like slipping on a comfy pair of, 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 of trousers. It was, it was just natural for me. Now, is your brother older or younger? He's younger. And did he, did he go to Vancouver as well? So was this like a boarding school? You're staying with family? Like what was the school situation for you? So I, my, uh, my cousins on my mother's side, so Vietnamese, they ended up in, in Canada. The, uh, uh, sorry, the reason I'm hesitating is because I'm not sure whether they would want me to say this, but, um, so my mother left Vietnam before the Vietnam war, but my cousins were there. So they were refugees basically. And so anyway, so they sponsored me to, to, to live with them. And so I was at a local school, but I was still considered an international student and the of fees course. were high. Of course. <laughs> and so I had, I had a scholarship uh, from Gabon. Hmm. And so that allowed me to go to Vancouver, um, but also the scholarship extended to my university years in France. Very cool. And your brother, did he go to Canada as well? Or he stayed somewhere else? No, he stayed in Gabon. Um, and both he and I were actually in university um, at the same time. Like, so we lived together actually when we were in university in, in France, in Bordeaux, the south of France. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he finished his, his high school in Gabon. Gotcha. He's like Bordeaux, wine country. Yeah, I gotcha. I know. <laughs> Don't ask me about wine, though. I only know how to drink it. I cannot tell you anything more about it. Even with time and wine country. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I And the reason I asked that question is because I know for me, there was certainly a transition going from being in the U.S. and going to Cameroon, right? So going mm-hmm. west to east, you know, going north to south or whatever. And I realize I'm very intrigued for people who are going the <laughs> the other way. But you are right. As as someone who also went to international schools, you were already sort of prepped for it anyway. It's just that, you know, once you got to Canada, right? But, and really, let's just call them North American, right? Or even a Western environment. Yeah. You were already prepped for it. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't as big, I think, of, of a culture shock as if yeah. I think you might be going a different way. Or if you hadn't had that experience, right? If you hadn't yeah. been at the international schools. I think it would have been a different experience for you. <laughs> I think also what helped was that it was around that time, you know, it was a teenage years and I don't, I know I don't look it and I'm sure people won't believe it, but I rebelled. Um, I think I had had enough of what I call the hypocrisy in, in Gabon. I was tired of, of having to live up to, these expectations that I'm supposed to be great because whatever ABC and it just, it, it just really wore me down. And as a teenager, I actually rebelled and um, I applied to the school myself. <laughs> My mom did not know until after I got the letter saying that I was accepted, you know, uh, the, uh, the scholarship and everything. So, so in a way <laughs> I think it helped because I was ready to leave. I had had enough Okay, everyone, let's be honest here. Whether you are living abroad or at home, having a financial plan is vital to charting your financial future. I know that some of us really don't like talking about money because it can be overwhelming, which is why you may want to consider speaking with the professionals at Smith Brewer Advisors. From retirement to investment management and estate and tax planning, an experienced financial advisor at Smith Brewer Advisors will help you create a plan to meet your financial goals. And what's awesome? They empower their clients to make the right decisions for their individual situation. To learn more about working with a fiduciary financial advisor, visit smithbreweradvisors.com. Proud sponsors of the Global Chatter podcast. Smith Brewer Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. All right. So we're back from the break. And as we are transitioning kind of into this portion of the interview, you know, one of the reasons that 
I was really interested in your stories because you have a background in media. I know. And, and from the intro, they would know that you uh, know Jim Stenman, who obviously we did an interview with um, about a year and a half ago. And I, this is just me. And I, you know, I say people do things because they're nosy. I'm just completely nosy when it comes to like people and backgrounds and whatever. And so t- talk a little bit about your career. So you have worked in a couple of different areas. And I, I kind of want to set that up to kind of talk about how your identity has played in those areas. Let's talk about you as an actress. I started acting when I was in Vancouver, actually, funnily enough, you know, at the time, this is so going to show how old I am. <laughs> but at the time, uh, 21 Jump Street, you know, the Johnny Depp oh my gosh, yes, TV of series course, of course. was filming there. It, my school was actually the one that they would film in. The MacGyver was filming there as well. And another series that was a spinoff, um, 21 Jump Street called uh, Booker was also filming there. So I kind of started dipping my toes as, you know, being a background extra um, on those shows. And that's kind of where I got a taste for acting. Um, but then, you know, when I um, when I finished high school, it's, it's that typical uh, family thing. Oh, no, you must have a real job. And at first I wanted to go into law. Law has always been something that interests me. You know, I love thrillers and all of these things, detective stories. Um, but my mother was just like, yeah, law's going to take about seven years in France. You might want to take something shorter. <laughs> so I did economics, economics sorry, in Bordeaux. Uh, and that was three years. And then originally I moved to London because I wanted to do an MBA, actually a master's. But then I got sidetracked into acting, back into acting. And, you know, it's kind of funny because for the longest time I I was trying to fight that creative side of me. I think it's only really been for the last 10 years that I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to give in. I love the creative side. Even when I was working so I was working as a temp. I don't know if you have that term in, in America. Yeah. So I have actually a pretty good career as a temp. I'm, I'm you know, I, I was working at like high CEO levels and stuff for international companies. And actually my language skills helped a lot. You know, I got the very coveted roles because I could speak French and English fluently. And, uh, you know, I could pick up some other languages. But I'm, I also have quite a, I'm very organized, which apparently is, is not common for somebody in the creative field. So I can see both sides. I can see the business side and the creative side. So I, I, I use both actually together. So in my creative career now, I use my business acumen to try and, and, and keep things rolling. But when I was working in, in those international banks or whatever, I would use my creative side to think outside the box and find solutions. So I started acting here. And so like I said, 10 years ago is when I started taking it seriously. So at the beginning, I don't think they knew what to make of me here, actually. Here I was, this exotic looking person, and I had an American accent. And so... <laughs> At the beginning, I was given a lot of uh, Latina roles because they didn't really have a lot of Latina Latino actors here in the UK and because they could not imagine, you know, where I could be from. But also because I spoke a little bit of Spanish, they're like, oh, yeah, you can you can um, take that gap that we have in the market, you know, because there's a lot of American productions that are shot here in the UK now, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, so I was ticking that box that I looked like a Latina and I had an American accent. So I was getting a lot of Latina cleaners. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also getting a lot of Filipino nurses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you rolling your eyes. <laughs> but yes, I did a lot of that before. At the beginning, I don't know if maybe it was my attitude and I was thinking, I have a degree in economics. Why would you pin pigeonhole Latinos as cleaners only or Filipinos as nurses? So I would never book those roles. I'm going to be honest with you. I never booked them. And then there was this one point where I just decided, do you know what? And actually, when I first arrived here in the UK, because I came from Canada, and also, you know, Canada kind of has like the same kind of like media and entertainment world as uh, Los Angeles, for example, because Vancouver is obviously on the same time zone. When I came to London 20 years ago, I was 
shocked at the lack of diversity, actually, on screen. And it's kind of interesting because I would start talking about diversity at workshops and all of that, not challenging people. So I would always make a point of going to a workshop and I would always raise my hand and I would talk about diversity in casting. And I would always be shooed aside going, there is no problem here. There is no problem here. There is no problem here. So anyway, um, for the longest time, I was banging my head against a wall, trying to break down those doors, trying to encourage people to see me other beyond my skin tone and beyond what their own limitation and their imagination was. And then I remember the turning point where I thought, do you know what? I am not getting anywhere. I am not getting booking those jobs. Do you know what? If I'm going to be going in the room where it happens, just to quote Hamilton, you know, you got to be in the room where it happens. If, if to be in that room, I have to be a Latina cleaner, I'm going to be the best damn Latina cleaner in London. And I remember when I was at a workshop and this casting director asked, you know, when it was my turn to go up and present my scene, asked to, you know, ask me a question. And that was the first time that I declared out loud. I literally just said, I didn't say my name is Georgia Goodman, blah, blah, blah. I just said, I'm the best Latina cleaner in London. And I remember the whole class laughing, thinking that I made a joke. But the casting director didn't laugh. And he was just like, why do you say that? And I said, well, that's, those are the roles that I'm getting. So if I want to work and I want to start building my career, I've got to start booking those roles. And not only do I have to book those roles, I have to be better than an actual real Latina. So I have to, to do the accent better. I have to perform better if I want to book those roles. And he said, yep, that's exactly right. That's how it works in the industry. And, and then since then, I started booking the roles. And actually, the turning point came, and I have to mention this. Um, I don't know if you know the newspaper. It's, a new, it's an American um, a newspaper or online newspaper called Backstage. It's like entertainment. Yeah. So at the time, I used to read a lot of Backstage, and there was an interview with Jeffrey Wright, the actor. And I remember that interview specifically because he's the one who changed my mind. He said himself that because when he was starting off, because people did not could not pin where he was from, he had to transform himself. So he was a Latino gangster in Shaft. He was, you know, whatever the angel in, in, in uh, Angels of America. He had to transform himself and be better than the real thing if he wanted to work. And so that's what changed my mindset and my approach. And so I started booking the roles. I started booking some high profile t American TV and, uh, and stuff. I could not break into the British market though for the longest time. Mm. And until this one casting director um, gave me a chance after he saw me at a workshop. So here <laughs> in terms of identity, so they consider me as Latina. Well, considered because things have changed now in the in the casting and the media world here. Mm -hmm. So they considered me as Latina or Filipino. Mm. And I tick a lot a lot of the diversity box for American productions. Let me ask a follow-up question real quick. Um mm. and, and obviously time has passed uh as you're telling the story, but it's funny because you talk about London and London in my mind and in at least for recent memory is a very diverse city it, it's a diverse city right but the screen does right. not reflect that and 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 that well, didn't sorry i should say didn't, didn't. and that's where yeah. i'm going with this <laughs> and i nothing surprises me when i when we're about to talk about but that response that that individual gave to you was it we have was it coming from a place of oh, no one's interested in seeing this diversity? Or was it coming from a place of, we think we already have enough diversity at that time that is available? The, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if it was that they knew the problem was there, but they did not know how to fix it. And so the, 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 the bog standard answer was, we don't have a problem. Or... Sometimes I remember a long time ago, the, the answers used to be, well, we try to cast diverse, but we can't find the right actor. 
right? And it's it's that thing where you're like, are you looking at the right agencies or are you looking, are you really looking? So I don't know what it was, but time and time again, I would get that answer when I was, you know, before, when I first arrived here. And then actually it started changing, funnily enough, when I stopped talking about it. And there was this, um, this, well, because I, I was tired of, of banging my head on the wall. And, and I think that it was also in a funny way, a detriment to me. To, to my career because I wasn't booking anything. And I don't know if it was because people thought I was a troublemaker um, when I wasn't. I was literally just asking the question because what I was seeing in real life is not reflected on screen, you know. Um, but, you know, listen, every country has this issue, every country. And every country... Sorry, this issue in their in their own media sphere, um, and every country also has the the stereotypes, you know, the Latino cleaners or whatever. But what I what I didn't like was that it was just this one sided thing. And because I was also dancing salsa at the time, so I knew a lot of Latinos. I knew that they weren't just this one sided person. You know, so many of my friends were like pharmacists or doctors when they were in Latin America, just because, but they were not allowed to do, to work as such in the UK. And so they're taking the jobs that were being given to them so that they can support their family, but they're a lot smarter than, than the Western world is giving them credit for. And actually, funnily enough, I remember I, I did this short film. I won an award for it and it was also um, awarded best short film where I portrayed a Latina cleaner in the city, like a big, whatever, un you know, unnamed financial institution. And uh, there's this one bit in the short film. And that's the reason why I accepted it um, where the cleaner is kind of like, you know, in, in a back room or something and she overhears some a candidate come in. We, we never see the candidate. The camera is on me all the time. And she hears the questions that are being asked from the receptionist going, oh, are you here for a job? And then I'm the one who answers in my own language in Spanish. And you find out that this cleaner was actually a university professor in her home country, Uruguay, but she's reduced to being a cleaner in this country. And um, and I mean, the best compliment for me, I was telling this to a friend, actually, um, the best compliment for me is that apparently when it was shown, it was shown at a, one of the workers unions here. And they had invited like, you know, cleaners uh, who were part of the, of the union. And the best, the best compliment were like, they were just like, I did them justice, you know, you know, I, I showed them as more than what people think they are so I'm really proud of that but that's the one thing that I hate it's just this this kind of like one-sided line you know kind of yeah. stereotypes you know you're a cleaner because you can't be anything else whereas I feel that is so much more interesting which is you know the idea of your podcast here that people are a lot more than what people yeah <laughs> than what you think they are you know and yeah um so so I I mainly do a lot of American productions. I've got some, you know, I've been really lucky in that respect. Yeah. Um, and 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 let me and and, and let me interrupt there because this this is yeah. There's so many I think layers to what you have said, and in my mind I'm thinking, on one hand, maybe there there are some privileges in the sense that because you you present ambiguously i think i know where the question is going but go ahead the roles may not be what they may not be the media of the roles but they're even being offered because it's like oh we can fit her into all these different categories and then i would also imagine on the flip side and 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 i was just thinking about this because you probably had a nondescript north american accent right that was naturally yours that there are probably other roles where they could say, oh, okay, well, she can sound like she's from 
the U.S. You know, it's like generically yeah. the U.S., generically Canada, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And so I'm sure, and I, so I'm wondering if you, in your in your career you were sort of seeing that on on one hand, okay, this is an area where because. It's, I'm trying to phrase it in my mind, but basically I'm saying is there's some privilege in the sense of having the American accent and then there's some non-privilege in the, oh, you're you're the generic non-majority white character. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. Yeah. And, and I get it. And the reality is it is going to be a while before we get, you know, the Denzel Washingtons or the Idris Elba's leading a story. The mm-hmm. stories are still very much white led mm-hmm. unless you get something that is written just for like, you know, either an all black cast or an all Asian cast and, and all whatever. And again, it's this thing where I'm just like, but why does it have to be one, you know, all or nothing? I live in a mixed world. You know, if, if, you know, uh, yeah so anyway yes I, I yeah i yes i have the privilege of the american accent and also not the privilege of, you of, know, not, of, of not of, being white, of, of not not being, being white. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but you know i have to say something because i'm sure that there's going to be a lot of your listeners who might go well she's taking the jobs of a real latino or a real whatever one thing i am very strict with myself with is that and I made that decision, you know, the same time when I said, I'm going to be the best Latina cleaner or whatever, is that whenever I portray, I'm portraying a culture that is other than my own, I, I do my homework. I re I want to make them proud. I am not going to, to, to make that culture look bad. If, if you know what I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm going to be portraying a Latina or so recently I played a film, you know I was lucky enough to be cast in this recurring role. Um, oh, here comes the plug um, on a BBC series called Wreck, which will be showing on Hulu in the US from the first of March. Okay, I only Hulu. just found out. I only just found out yesterday. Actually, awesome. I'll watch. So there you go, plug, free plug. I did not. I honestly did, was not going. It was not going there. What I was going to say, oh, but anyway. All good. Um, so I played this uh, Filipino character on there. I worked my ass off. Um, you know. Um, I mean, the thing is, I'm not entirely lying when I, I can say that I have lived in the Philippines because I have. Yes. Um that my, my own Filipino friends, they thought I was Filipino. And mm-hmm. even in the cast, everybody thought I was li- Filipino. All the Filipino men, especially, they were just like, oh, you like it? Like my, my tita, my auntie, yeah. you know, in the Philippines. Um, I learned the language. I learned the, the, the accent. I, I f- hope my, my, one of my friends, uh, Margarita told me that, yeah, I did an amazing job. She's Filipino. Um, you know, so I hope I, 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 I did them proud. Um, and I do this and the role before that, I, I was playing an Indonesian woman. Again, I learned the language, I learned the, you know, accent and everything. So that is one thing that I don't think anybody can fault me for. Yeah. Yes. I might be portraying maybe a culture that's different than my own. Mm-hmm. I mean, Indonesia, I mean, you know, my mother is Vietnamese, so I can, I can claim that I'm, I am part Asian, Yeah, you know, so it's not a complete stretch, <laughs> right. but do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I do get it. I do get it because I was the first one to claim. I remember growing up, you know, my mother, we would watch all these movies about the, the Vietnam war, you know, these American movies. And because my mother herself was something like quadrilingual or something, she spoke about five languages. She would watch the. She would. She would watch the actors who were supposed to be Vietnamese, and the actors were terrible. Like, that <laughs> he literally just spoke Chinese. <laughs> that person literally just spoke Japanese. Right. That, and so I grew up with that. So I know what it's like to feel like you're not being represented right. on screen, or you know, and just don't. And, and yes, I I think <laughs> this this pops up periodically when I'm on social media. And there's a movie that has to do with the African continent. And it's just like all out, like every single time the accent's wrong. It's supposed to represent this tribe. The people are like, we don't even say that. 
Like it, it's just, it's always, <laughs> so I, I feel like particularly Africa and Asia gets this a lot and maybe mm-hmm. even a little bit less of Asia right now and a lot, but a lot of Africa, I'm just, oh, and, and it's always a generic African like area too. Right. And yeah. so, and so we're like, that's East, that's not West or that's not mm-hmm. South. That's definitely not North. Um, yeah. So I, I can imagine for her. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, you know, and this is the one thing that I've I've learned to accept, and I don't know if it's in my old age, I'm now becoming a lot wiser. <laughs> um, but I'm now understanding more and more how the industry works. And I get it when it's like a generic African accent or generic whatever accent, or even a generic American accent, you know, like right, mine, right. for example. It's that, you know, the studios and the production companies need to sell this to middle America or middle England or middle wherever country. Right. Mm -hmm. And the accent has to be understood. So it's almost like a Western eyed word. It's a little bit like, you know, Chinese restaurants in America. I'm telling you right now, (laughs) that Chinese food you're eating, it has been Westernized for the taste. Totally. The same here and everything. (laughs) So, you know, it's just like that. It's, it's that it has to, the media has to adapt to, the majority of the viewership and I get it. But you know what I think is really, and this is why I'm fascinated with, with the way media is consumed and shared right now is do you think with social media and with us being far more connected than we used to be, that we will see a little bit more of, of that shift of less having to appeal to like middle America and middle and more to like, Oh wait, there's a whole world of like, Asian communities that love, you know, crazy rich Asians. They're obviously Black Panther came out. I mean, once again, my family's West African. Some of the accents in the first one, we were like, eh, but but we supported it because they got the clothing and the, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and, and Ryan Coogler did his best look. He went to the continent and he intentionally was pulling from different parts of Africa. So we let it be. But do you think that, and I, I know that, and I want to say Hollywood, but it's more than Hollywood we will start to see a little bit more of a shift from, I I get you're trying to appeal to this group, but guess what? All these other groups who also have dollars and, and francs and euros and everything else, you want to appeal to them too? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, I've seen since um, we came out of lockdown and I think because the whole world was in lockdown, I have now seen, there has been a change actually. I have seen that, I think, you know, when we were in lockdown and there was nothing new, people went on Netflix or whatever, That's right? What I was thinking. For me, for example, I discovered Korean TV series on Netflix. Right. I am addicted. <laughs> they keep up. Honestly, I'm just like, I did not realize it was a massive market, you know, blah, blah, blah. And since we've come out of lockdown, I have seen what is kind of like the current trend, authenticity in casting which unfortunately now puts me in a bit of a pickle because I'm like, well, what does that mean being authentic? I'm ethnically ambiguous and I grew up internationally. (laughs) What do you mean authentic? Right. And yes, I think that it's, it started, you know, um, I have been seeing more and more, you know, productions that are, um, that will um, write a character of a completely different nationality. And so the script will be in that actor's language, which is amazing. I'm like, yes, people are no longer afraid of subtitles. Yay, people can read. They're no longer afraid. Because that used to be the main problem is that, you know, the powers that be would think that nobody wanted to read subtitles anymore. They didn't want to have to make the effort. I get it, you know, because sometimes, you know, when I'm putting on one of the Korean shows, the first thing I'm doing is, can, is there like an English dub? Because I want to be able to eat my food without having to stare at the screen. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't do dubs though because I'm just like I can totally tell like the voices don't. And here's the exactly. thing: here's, here's a weird. Okay, you you talked about dating yourself. So my I've told one of my friends the story, and she dies every time I say it. I used to work at Blockbuster, <laughs> right? Oh wow, <laughs> way back in the day, and it was totally like when you think about the movies about a bunch of 20 something year olds in high school, who was working at a movie. Like it was totally like that. Yeah. And I, I, this will really date myself. People would ask me, you know, what, it, what's the, like, what would you recommend? And I 
Love me a good foreign film. This was the age of The Matrix. Okay, so people want to see The Matrix. And I'm like, life is beautiful because let's watch a Holocaust movie in Italian. And and so and so to your point, though, one of my favorite, and this came out years later. It wasn't even when I was a blockbuster, it just triggered the spot. But you talk about people not reading, the, wanting to read subtitles. And I'm thinking, I loved, because we were talking about Mongolia earlier. Mm. <laughs> There's a movie called Mongol, which was award-winning. Yes which was about Genghis Khan. And it was totally <laughs> subtitled, I think, out of Mongolian. And I, because I'm like, I want to see this story, I'm willing to commit to that. But you just reminded me that so many people are like, I don't want to read. But I was a reader as a kid, so I'm just like, whatever. I'm reading it I was kid. a reader as a kid as well, yeah. But you know what? I, I have to say that some of those Korean TV series, and, you know, please any Korean production <laughs> producers, please forgive me for this, but I'm sorry. Whoever they use for dubbing in English is, is like, is like the most lifeless voice ever. And in a way I would rather just listen to the original actor's voice and just read the subtitles Yes, because they're, yes. they're so much more expressive, but yeah. And I think it has changed actually since lockdown, because I yeah. think people started getting used to watching all the Netflix series and obviously squid game also was like, a, yeah popular as well yeah yeah so i think that everything has shifted now and it's amazing yeah. but what i would love is i don't know if it came out it has come out in the states or you watched it but i just uh recently watched uh the tv series three pines it's a canadian tv series okay um but it's with uh the lead is a uh british is um alfred molina you know famous british actor um yes. who is uh, who plays a Canadian on there. I was watching it and then they, they have Native American actors and they have all this diversity in it. But the best thing, they have some of the characters speaking in French just as if it was just natural because obviously in, in that part of, of Canada, they're both bilingual, they're bilingual French yes. and English. And so the French will come in in the middle of the conversation, for example, as if, and then nobody bats a lid. And I'm like, Oh my God, I want to be on that show. I want to be able to just be cast as me without and using all of the skills that I have without pretending to be something else. And I, and I, I mean, as we start to wind down, I have to say this because you just made this point. Emily in Paris <laughs> on oh, Netflix. Please don't. No, no. But here's here's <laughs> here's what I will say. Actually, this might, might not be the first time I've brought the show, but this is what I will say. I think to your point about languages, season two, I think in response to people on social media saying most of the characters are French, they would be speaking French to each other, even if that lead was not there. Why do you have them speaking English to each other when they would rather be speaking French? And the thing I noticed this season is there was far more actual like even when the character was the, the main, the main American character, Lily Collins was there, or the actress who plays Emily, hmm. even when she was there, there was far more French integrated. And so to your point, it's a small thing. You can feel how you want about the show, but that, that integration of what an actual community is instead of people unnaturally, and they could all speak English fine, but they're in Paris. Also, they're in Paris. Parisians are going to speak French more than anybody else. So, so I, I, I love, I love seeing that change. And, and, and so kind of as we're wrapping down, one of the things I do want to ask you as we kind of close out and it's more of a reflective question is how do you see, and however you can do, do this in a brief way, but how do you see your international experiences have kind of contributed to where your career is right now or and 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 I and what I'm really getting at is if you can mention one thing that you feel like having those experiences in in those countries in your formative years have been impactful to your career to this point I would love to hear that I think again I'm going to go back to the fact that I can I adapt quickly, but I think I think it goes beyond that. I 
I'm a curious person by, you know, by nature in that when I meet somebody, I want to know about them and I want to know about their culture. So what that means, and I think that's, that also helps me in, in, in what I was saying earlier, how if I'm portraying a different culture, I will make sure that I respect that culture as much as possible. I feel that my internationalism, how it's helping with in my career is that I can pick up somebody's culture very quickly. What I mean by that is their beliefs, how they behave, what, you know, um, and it just shows me that there's so much more that we, that so many cultures have so much more in common than people think, you know, you would think that Vietnam and Africa, you know, my mom and my dad, were completely separate and yet they both follow the same values and the same traditions. And you will find that a lot of cultures are the same. And so I think for me, that's, that's where my internationalism has helped my career in that I can immediately identify with a culture and, um, and I can immediately respect a culture, you know, and, and, and do my best in portraying a culture that potentially is different from my own. I think that's probably what's helped me so far in my career and hopefully will continue to help me. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. <laughs>